So people would often ask me after Bring Your Human to Work came out, they would say, well, what does it mean to bring your human to work? Like, do you really want me to bring my whole everything human to work? Um, there is a caveat. This is work and it is a professional place. So you, I, I always say, you know, bring your best human to work, your most professional human to work. But they still weren't sure what that meant. So if I were to boil it down to, to one sentence, it really is about honoring relationships. You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. My name is Ceci Amador de San Jose, and today I'm looking forward to chatting with Erica Keswin. Erica is one of the best-selling authors, internationally sought-after speaker, and founder of The Spaghetti Project, a roving ritual devoted to sharing the science of stories and relationships at work. She is the author of best-selling books, Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World, and Rituals Roadmap, the human way to transform everyday routines into workplace magic. Erica, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. And before we get started, I want to thank Office R&D, our sponsor for today's podcast episode. Office R&D is an amazing management platform that can help flexible workspace operators free up valuable time by automating administrative tasks and helping to make data-driven decisions so that they can spend more time focusing on growing their brand and engaging with their community. Today, thousands of flexible workspace operators are reaping the benefits. You can learn more about them at officerd.com and book your demo for free. So, Erica, I was reading your book up until earlier today, and I have to say that the introduction, uh, the part where you mentioned the, the goal of the zero inbox, I, I personally identified with that. I hate to see notifications, things on my phone and my email. I try to clean it up and reach zero every day. And then that lasts like probably two minutes. It drives me nuts. And I think that throughout your book, bringing the, the, the human to work, you, you actually hit the nail right in the head with saying that technology can do all of these amazing things for the workplace, for business, but also kind of hurt, hurt us a little bit. I want to start out by having you talk to us a little bit about how did the idea of bringing your human to work come to mind for you? What did you experience firsthand? Um, did you see how difficult it is for people to actually be present at work? And what were some of the impacts that that you observed? Yeah. So, you know, one, I'm a, I'm a workplace strategist, so I tend to watch for these things in the workplace. But one of the things I kept noticing was that people would be in the office. This was all before the pandemic, but they would be in the office with their colleagues and they would be sitting by themselves, um, you know, alone together. And they would, you know, call into meetings from down the hall. You know, the boss would say, come on, let's, you know, we're going to bring, come together with our team in my office. And I kept hearing the story over and over where, where some of the people would say, you know what, I'm just going to call in from my office. And I couldn't really understand it because being, you know, working in this world, this space for 25 years, you know, you learn so much when you're in person with someone, um, you know, reading their body language and putting the client on mute and, you know, having a boss mentor you in person. Now, obviously, much of that has changed in the midst of this pandemic, 
but I wrote this book in 2018. So, you know, that really was the motivation to say that, you know, how do we find what I call the sweet spot between tech and connect? How do we leverage technology for all of its greatness? But then how do we also put technology in its place and connect face to face? And I think, you know, as we go into 2022, we're at another interesting fork in the road where we need to think about, you know, these hybrid workplaces and how do we leverage technology again to keep us connected when we're remote. But I've been doing a lot of work and thinking and consulting around when we do come together, we can't just show up. Like we have to be very intentional about how we design the days and the hours that we do spend together to get the most out of it. You bring up a very interesting and very important point, which is that the return to the office will have to be very, very intentional for companies, especially those that will adopt the hybrid work models where workers can choose when and how they come into the office. I heard someone say that what's the point of going into the office if you're going to be the only person there? So I think that companies will need to figure out a way to leverage technology to make sure that when people do come in, they can actually connect with one another and not through technology. I think it's um, your book brings out a lot of the topics that even back in 2018, companies were struggling with. But right now, because of the pandemic, it's just making it even harder and more critical for them to address these types of issues. Uh, one particular example that I liked about your book uh, is the example of JetBlue and how they conduct their, their onboarding and how they walk the talk. Um, so just, you know, bring yourself to work, their, your authentic self to work. And they were very authentic from the examples that you gave in your book. But this was in an in-person setting. And one of the things that have changed as a result of the pandemic is that people are being onboarded virtually. How can companies make sure that the onboarding process virtually still allows them to bring their human to work? Because like you said, in the end, there's a lot to do with like meetings, being on camera, a lot of stuff that even with the video on, you you can't really naturally see the bot, the tone, the body language, um, the subtle cues about the expressions and stuff like that. I think it can be easily missed, especially, and this is how I'm I'm imagining it can it kind of goes. You have a presentation that you're giving, you're sharing your screen, um, and then at least with Zoom, you have like the little um just like snippets windows uh of the video of camera of everyone but then if you're giving a presentation you're not really looking at them in the camera so how you you can miss all of these important signs and cues uh so what what can recruiters and managers and leaders do uh to bring the human touch in a virtual setting whether onboarding people or in meetings and then similar it goes back to being intentional so I think the onboarding process starts not even on the first day, but well before the first day. And so, again, whether you're talking about in-person onboarding or remote onboarding, you know, give that person a buddy, somebody that reaches out to welcomes, welcomes you into the organization, answers any questions. Oftentimes, it's great if it's not a manager, you know, make it someone who's more like a peer. Um, and and now when we're you know doing this virtually, that first day is is even that much more important. So what happens? You know, it's I start on November 29th on Monday after Thanksgiving and do I what do I do? Do I just turn on my computer? No. I mean, as you're on Zoom, you, your manager needs to meet with you. The day needs to be very curated um, in terms of check-ins, in terms of, you know, what's expected. 
Um, you know, one way to think about onboarding, you know, I talk a lot in the book about values. You know, companies often have values and sadly, many of the companies just have values that are sitting on a plaque. They're on the walls. The, the key is how do you get them off the walls and into the halls and bring them to life? And, you know, the onboarding process is one way to do that. So, you know, if you recruit somebody and you bring them into your company and you're all about collaboration and you're all about excellence, you know, through this onboarding process, you need to show what that looks like, what that means. And so that could be through storytelling. It could be through using a Slack channel. It could be through, you know, showing people that you're going to get put on a bunch of different projects and how people are expected to collaborate. And so doing it through the lens of the values is really important. Um, I also think that especially being remote, that somebody should be checking in with this person, I would say at least once or twice a day, every day for the first month that this person's there. How do you, and I think that's great. I think that that, that can definitely bring the human connection and, and that human touch, but, but how do you prevent those regular checkings from becoming a distraction? And that's something that you also mentioned in your book. We have all of these collaboration tools. You have email, you have Slack, you have Asana and different apps and platforms, but they can become a distraction where meaningful connections don't really take place anymore, especially if you're trying to use all of them at the same time. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about how these checking should go. What do they look like? Is that just a quick, hey, is everything good? Or hey, do you have any questions? Or like you said, should they be more intentional? Uh, so specific questions, I feel, and this is from, from my early days when I first started a new job. I didn't necessarily know why I needed help with some sort of thing. So you, you don't, you're not really as familiarized with stuff. So whenever people ask, do you have any questions? The natural response is, well, not really, but you know how uh, when they tell you when they when you want to help someone, instead of saying, hey, let me know if you need any help, that you should provide kind of like a specific example, like, hey, I can get your groceries, I can pick you up, that that kind of thing. How is that similar for, for a virtual environment when onboarding a new person? Well, when we're talking about currently during this remote time, you know, the last 18 months have really turned everything on its head. And so what I have found is that in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, 60 minutes of a 60 minute meeting were, were spent checking in, you know, six months into the pandemic, 30 minutes of a 30 minute meeting were spent checking in. And now I get the question all the time, do I need to keep checking in? And the answer is yes. I mean, we're still, we're not through this and people are still, I mean, the numbers even as of today are, are much higher than we thought that they would be. So it's really important to keep checking in, but we also need to get work done. And so a couple of um, ideas for leaders, and I think about this through the lens of rituals, which is I cover in my, in my second book, Rituals Roadmap, you know, start off a meeting and have everybody go around the, the Zoom or if you're in person and share one word that describes how you're showing up. And what that does, it, it's inclusive. Everybody participates. If you have introverts on your team, let them know ahead of time it's going to happen. They can think about what their word is going to be. It brings out some interesting themes. You know, if you're a manager and everybody's word is, you know, I'm great, things couldn't be better. Um, and that happens week after week. Perhaps you don't have the kind of culture where people can be open and honest because it's, you know, not often that all 10 people in your meeting every week, you know, that things are perfect. Um, if somebody does share a word that indicates that, you know, things are a bit crazy at home that day, 
Um, one, it gives you an opportunity to have a deeper check-in with that person and have a one-on-one. It also gives the team an opportunity to, to step in and you know, be supportive and provide you know, extra help. So I think that is a way and try to bring that into a ritual into your meeting. Alternatively, well, not, I would say you can actually do both of these things. Um, sometimes, you know, to your point, when you say, you know, so how are you doing? Some people don't know how to answer that or they don't, it doesn't seem that you actually really care or want to know the answer. So recently I heard, I was listening to a podcast with the head of HR from Dropbox who said that in their leadership development training, managers are, are asked to start their check-ins by saying, you know, how are you, how are you really, really doing? And I think just shifting that and pausing, you know, gives the listener, wow, like they, they really want to know how I'm doing. And I think it's, it's really important right now, especially end of 21, beginning of 22, in the midst of this great resignation, people are leaving jobs and the ones that stay feel connected. And so the checking in is really important, probably even more than it was before. Yes, I agree that with the great resignation, the skyrocketing numbers of people quitting, it's it's that feeling of connection with the company, with leaders, with coworkers. It's definitely key to preventing uh, staff from leaving within an organization. And then you you were also talking about rituals. And like you said, you have another book that's completely dedicated to that. But what are some rituals that you believe can improve workplace dynamics, especially in a hybrid environment? So, you know, it depends on the company, but... When I started to interview hundreds of people about their rituals at work, sometimes people weren't even sure what their rituals, what the rituals are. And so I came up with a question that when I asked leaders the question, all of a sudden they would have that light bulb moment and say, oh, wow, that's our ritual. So I'll share with your listeners the magic question. Um, I asked this, for example, to Marisa Andrada, who's the head of HR at Chipotle. And I asked executives at LinkedIn and all different kinds of companies. And the question is, you know, when do associates or when do employees feel most Chipotle-ish, most part of the culture? And when I asked that question, you know, Marisa was able to say, you know, one of our really important rituals is every day before we open the doors at Chipotle at 10.30 a.m., every day at 10.15, all of the, the people that have come in in the morning to chop up the lettuce and make the guacamole, They all sit around the table and have a meal together and it makes them feel connected. They take a deep breath before the doors open. And there's actually a study out of Cornell that found that the firefighters, for example, who are the most dedicated to the ritual of the firehouse meal, it actually correlates with higher levels of performance and those firefighters save more lives. And so, you know, there are even some companies that have been eating together over Zoom. So a lot of the rituals, whether it's hybrid or in person, Um, You start by thinking about those as it relates to that, you know, to answering that question. And the themes that popped up, you know, there were rituals around onboarding, rituals in the beginning of meetings. You know, at Eileen Fisher, they they ring a gong before the meeting just to have everybody sort of settle. Um, At some of the Toyota, somebody shares a story um, that's related to their value around safety. And so it's just these moments that really connect people. Um, There was a group of companies that said, you know what, we feel most connected to our company during our annual celebration, you know, when we all come together um, to celebrate a win or just, you know, celebrate what we've done at the end of the year. So when you think about the employee experience, the examples and the opportunities for rituals really are in all of those different 
those different places. Ha have you ever come across companies that don't have rituals or, I mean, maybe they do, but they're not fully in place, so they're not consistent? Uh, I think that's part of an important key part of having rituals, that they have to be consistent for them to work. Um, otherwise, if it fluctuates, it doesn't really work. So in your experience, have you come across companies that have a hard time identifying these rituals? And if so, what are some ways that leaders and managers can make sure to bring that ritual part to work on a regular basis? Yeah. So a couple of things there. I mean, rituals can come from anywhere. They can come from the top down, the bottom up, the inside out. And, you know, rituals are more of a pull versus a push. You know, you, don't, you can't really mandate a ritual. You know, you must do this. Just by definition, that sort of makes it not a ritual. So the first thing I would say is that, you know, for leaders listening, if you try to start something or if you have a ritual and it's just really not catching on after you try, I think we need to take our ego out of it um, and move on because there are other rituals that, that will sort of have that, that stickiness. But this one in particular, for whatever reason, just hasn't caught on. Um, you can ask for, for input from your team and say, you know, here's the science of rituals. You know, here's why rituals are so important. Um, you know, what do you think we could do for a ritual for our team? I've also seen leaders that once we've talked about the definition of a ritual and the ROI of a ritual, and I asked them that question, you know, when do employees feel most connected? They realized that they had them, but they didn't necessarily call them rituals. They were just things that they did. And you know, it's a ritual if it goes away and people go, kind of go crazy. They think, oh my gosh, you know, what happened? Or they think the company is being sold and they really miss it when they're gone. And so I think it's, it's all of those things. Um, one quick story that I'll share just to show that you can create a ritual and have it stick. In the book, I interview um, a guy named Morty Shapiro, who's the president of Northwestern University. And he came from um, Williams College, a, a university that's like steeped in rituals. They had so many rituals. And he got to Northwestern and he said to his team, okay, everybody, what are our rituals? You know, here, our new rituals at my new school. And people looked at him like he was nuts. And, and he was like, wow, you know, this is really important. We need to have some rituals. So there was a big arch on campus. And so he said, you know what, why don't we, on the first day of school, of, of a, of a four-year college experience, the very first day of your journey, let's have all the students walk through the arch and let's, let's try that as, as a way, again, rituals bring us together and give us that feeling of connection and your oxytocin goes up and your stress goes down. And again, there's a lot of science behind the, the health benefits and the business benefits and all, all of that. And so the first year... He probably had about 50 kids walk through the arch and he had forgotten to tell the local police to shut the streets down and the kids were running in and out of the streets. The second year, about 250 kids walked through the arch. The third year, they had all 2,000 people, all the kids walking through the arch. And now it is literally a ritual that you would never miss. Even the parents stay. And I now have friends whose kids go and they take pictures. And it's, it's, it's an unbelievable thing. And Morty shared with me a story where he interviewed, he spoke to a junior it was about to be a senior. And, and he says to the kid, you know, so you're about to be a senior. You know, what has been it's been one of the most memorable moments in your almost four years here at Northwestern? And the kid said, you know, Dr. Shapiro, it was March through the arch because I felt it felt so good to be connected to all of those people that had come before me. And Morty then says with a wink in his eye, I didn't have the heart to tell the poor kid it was only the third year. <laughs> and so that's the, the magic of rituals that when they stick and they're connected to the values and they really bring people together, 
in the culture of your organization, um, there's there's just a magic to it. I, I, I have to agree. I, you were telling the story. I was trying to think of a ritual in my school, and there's definitely some that stand out, but but those are a story for, for another day. Erica, and then one of the things that I really liked about your book, and you mentioned the very, very early on in the first chapter, is the importance of honoring relationships. I want to ask you what that means to you um, and what does it look like in a workplace setting and, and why is it so important? So people would often ask me after Bring Your Human to Work came out, they would say, well, what does it mean to bring your human to work? Like, do you really want me to bring my whole everything human to work? Um, there is a caveat. This is work and it is a professional place. So you, I, I always say, you know, bring your best human to work, your most professional human to work. But they still weren't sure what that meant. So if I were to boil it down to, to one sentence, it really is about honoring relationships and honoring relationships with your colleagues, with your boss, with your direct reports, with your clients and customers, and also honoring the relationship with yourself. It, it really is all of all of those things. And, you know, there's a litmus test when you're looking to make a decision, you know, do you hire this person? Do you do a new deal? Um, you know, different things that you might change in your company. I often think about those decisions through this lens of, of thinking about all of those relationships and the impact on, on all of those relationships. And I think when we can keep that top of mind, um, it does end up creating a much more human workplace. I, I agree there's something, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but maybe a little. This is mm -hmm. something that came up in a meeting today. Earlier, we were talking about, you know, with remote work and hybrid teams, how do you ensure that the way people honor relationships is is going to resonate in the right way? Uh, because the way people honor relationships across the globe is very, very different from culture to culture. So companies that have distributed teams how how can they yeah. make sure that the way people honor relationships across the border for to put it in one way um it, it's it's a positive experience for all so i know that the way people honor relationships here in guatemala may be different than the way they do in germany in the us and canada or mexico so how can you make sure that there are no conflicts that could arise from the way that people honor relationships how how can leaders set the tone and and who should be in charge of setting that tone at work and look there may there may be conflicts and that's part of having a global organization and having these conversations but if a company has a set of values that truly represent you know, the soul and the essence of, of the behaviors that are expected in an organization, I look at everything through, through that lens. You know, some companies end up having way too many values. That's a problem with many companies. You know, if you have 10, 12, 14 values, it's not going to drive any kinds of behavior. You know, if you, my sweet spot is sort of three to six values. If that's what we stand for as a company, if those are the behaviors, it's the how, right? The mission and the strategy is the what. The values are the how we are going to get things done. Um, and yes, there might be differences in terms of the way that we approach things. But if we have similar values personally and also the values that we stand for at work, you're going to get much closer. And if that's the starting point, then it's really up to the leader to set those expectations and to think about it across his or her, you know, different geographies 
and, and to have conversations about what living that value might look like in the U.S. versus in Guatemala versus versus in Mexico City um, and, and bring that to life and have those conversations. I mean, that's, a you know, honoring relationships is a big piece of it is being able to have those conversations and doing it through the lens of the values is provides the structure within which you can have those conversations. You mentioned you brought up a very interesting point and is that conflict is to be expected in global organizations. <laughs> they yes. Conflict, it's not necessarily something bad, uh, but sometimes I do believe that the best innovations and ideas come out of conflict resolutions or people having different perspectives. But in a hybrid setting, again, everything is different and can become a little bit more complicated. The way people interact with you, they talk to each other. How can companies improve conflict management in hybrid work settings? And, and I think I've told this example several times in the podcast by now, but I've had complaints made about me because I was too short or curt on messages. So my usual responses are, okay, yes, no, um, because I, I have other things to do and it, it can get distracting if not. And they're like, well, she's not nice. She comes across mean and I'm not mean, but they haven't met me and we don't always use video. So what are some ways I feel like in a hybrid work environment, it can be very, very easy for things that would not normally become a conflict to turn into a conflict. Uh, so going back to, to your idea that conflict is to be expected, how can companies uh, and leaders manage conflict in a way that's healthy and that provides a kind of same space for all parties involved to, to voice whatever they mm -hmm. need? So you can't leave it to chance. I'm actually, I'll send it to you when it's ready. You can share it out to your listeners, but I have a an article coming about the you know top 10 ways to have a successful hybrid meeting and and it's you have to begin with intention you have to begin you have to end with intention you have to have rules of the road so just some a couple that you know off the top of my head i mean let's say you have four people in the office and six people at home perhaps once every other week everybody calls in um, even if even if you're co-located, everybody calls in with their own link to democratize the experience. I mean, during the pandemic, that was one of the things that people talked about as being a positive, that all of a sudden everybody was sort of on this equal playing field. And now as we go back into the office, um, it's, it's going to be challenging. You know, I spoke with the CEO yesterday who said one of the things that they do is when they're having, you know, when they put something out and they ask a question and they want responses, they are very, very intentional. First, somebody that's remote gets called on to give you know, his or her idea. Then someone's in person and you keep alternating back and forth, back and forth. And you do that throughout the meeting. You, know, um, you tell everybody to really be polite and mind their manners, that, that the people in the office, and someone has to orchestrate this and manage it and run it because the last thing you want is the four people that are in the room together, you know, having side conversations and, you know, making the people that that are remote just feel really bad. And that is not what you want. Again, we're in the midst of this great resignation and this will, I guarantee, cause people to leave. And so you want to begin on time. You want to end on time. You want to make sure, for example, that when the meeting ends, it ends and that the four people that are in the room together, you know, you need to tell them it is important that you don't keep talking about the topic because only 40% of the people are there. 
And it's, and that again, goes back to your question about honoring relationships. If you're thinking about through that lens, you're going to realize that that feels crappy if you're at home when the four people in the office are continuing the meeting when you're not there. And so it's having a plan, having these rules of the road, it's being flexible, knowing that the rules might change and then thinking about it again through the values, which I know seems some people will say, oh, that's so touchy feely and sort of squishy. But I would push back and say sometimes, especially now, this soft stuff is really the hard stuff. And, and it is so, so important right now. I agree. And what you just said about this had not even crossed my mind. Like if everyone's in this, participate in this meeting, meeting, whether you were in person with the others or not, the meeting needs to stop at the same time for everyone. And like you said, you want people, you don't want people to have side conversations during the meeting. And I don't know if this happened to you, but I remember when the pandemic first hit, everyone was doing Zoom virtual events with family and friends. And I never liked them because you could always, I mean, you could see because you had the camera, but it was pretty obvious when people started having kind of like side conversations. And it was not like we were all together in the same event, more like people were, you know, we were all each other's as background noise. Uh, so I ended up hating them and I never went to any other yes. virtual event. I'm like, I'll meet up with you whenever we can do well, it. But that's, a great, but that's a great example because if somebody had been orchestrating that and having rules of the road to participate so that everybody feels good, you know, maybe you have, you know, maybe the first one you, they bring in, you know, a, a mixologist and everybody makes a drink together and, you know, everybody you know, goes around and says something and, and, and it's inclusive versus, versus your experience with it. And so, you know, that's, that's the risk of these hybrid meetings not working that um, I, you know, I, I have a podcast also, which is called left to our own devices. And I called it that because left to our own devices, excusing the, the cheesy pun, you know, we're not connecting. And so if you have a hybrid meeting without thinking through how it works, when it starts, when it ends, the technology, um, icebreakers, checking in, all of these things, and then your you know goals, um, it's it's going to be a free-for-all and people will leave feeling less connected than ever before. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, we're almost running out of time here, Erica. So off the top of your head, what are the, I don't want to say top, but what are some five ways that people can bring their human to work tomorrow? Wow. Okay. Um, I would say number one, be real and speak in a human voice. And what I mean by that is if, if the more open and even vulnerable you can be, you will get everybody else to open up as well, especially if you are a leader or a manager, that your goal is, you know, a lot of times people think that the manager has it all figured out. So be real, speak in a human voice. I'd say that is number one. Number two, you know, these days, um, you know, mental health is really an issue. Things are unprecedented in terms of stress. So the second way to bring your human to work is, is create a culture of wellness. And that could be through a ritual of, of people taking deep breaths or, you know, a, a manager could say, okay, every Wednesday, wellness Wednesday, we're going to have an hour from one to two to just turn everything off and then report back on, you know, taking care of yourself and, and, you know, spending a little time kind of putting your own oxygen mask on, on first. So I would say those are two, um, you know, meetings is a third one. 
is that you know bringing your human to work these days is um, thinking through what we just spoke about with meetings. I'd say number four is returning to rituals or creating new ones and and really thinking about the way that especially in a in a hybrid environment that even just a quick ritual of going around and sharing a word with people how that really can be that connective tissue and that and that stickiness and i'd say the last and and certainly not least um and especially as we're taping this right before thanksgiving is to say thanks and to to have gratitude and that's another thing that makes a big difference at work you know people want to hear a thanks and the research shows that the person giving the thanks gets just as much out of it as the person receiving it. I love all of those. And the last one that you mentioned, I feel like gratitude has become a very, very important talking point over the past almost two years in a workplace setting. And I think, I don't know if this is directly a result of the pandemic, but I've seen so many leaders talk about how just saying thank you for the work you do or the work that you're doing, it can have an immense power to make people feel happier and much more connected at work. Yeah. So thank you, Erica. And if people want to learn more about you, uh, the work you do and the books you've written, where can they go? Great. They can find me on my website was just my name, ericakeswin.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on my Instagram, which is just my name. And um, it talks about what I do, the, the keynote talks and the workshops around how to bring your human to work and how to bring rituals into the workplace. And would love to hear from your listeners. Awesome. So there you have it, everyone. You know where to find Erica. And thank you again to our sponsor, Office R&D. And to everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Remember that you can tune in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. New episodes are released every Thursday. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?